0: Hi, this is Charlie Peck with the Thriving School Community and I am so very excited to welcome Dr. Christopher Jones on here. We're going to talk about leadership and so much more. So welcome, I'm glad you're here.
1: Well, thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here, Charlie. I appreciate you you having me on.
0: Yeah, well, we've had some good conversations prior to this and it's exciting to dive into it. So let's talk about Mental health in our schools. What's going on? What are you seeing? We're starting a new school year back right now, and you have a book out called "Seeing." Oh my gosh, "Seeing to Lead." I almost set through a word "the" in it. Um, "Seeing to Lead." And what's you see my little sticky notes there? "Seeing mm-hmm. to Lead" is really important because it's about the vision that we need to have as leaders. And you pull in your experience, and I want to address new teachers here because um, new teachers, but also new leadership here. So there's so much that we can cover. So let's first ask, what are you seeing in schools right now that is the most concerning for mental health for staff and students?
1: Um, For both staff and students, and this is interesting that when you're talking about mental health, what I'm seeing is a lot of the same for both along the lines of anxiety. Um, And there's we're also seeing elevated levels of depression among students. So those two together are really difficult to deal with as leaders um, that I'm finding out because they're not always, well, this is cliche, but it's not like they're walking around with a cast on their arm because they've got a broken arm. So you don't necessarily notice that they're carrying this burden or these concerns with them when they actually are. So Mm -hmm. it adds that additional layer of making sure we're communicating the right way and making sure we're doing what we can to support them.
0: Yeah. And that's important that you say that because they are pretty vocal, but not necessarily in front of of leaders or colleagues. And sometimes families are seeing it or they're going to social media and expressing their concerns there. And that's not helpful either. And so I would love for you to tell people what your background is a little bit so that they know what lens you're coming into because your lens is important because you do have some great vision here to share.
1: Uh, sure. My my background is I am a principal of a regional high school. And um, before that, I was an assistant principal. I was also a special education team chair, but I was a classroom teacher for a number of years. I've been in different settings. I've been in an urban setting and suburban setting. Um, and education actually is my second career. I was a coppersmith before I got into education. But um, I guess that pretty much sums <laughs> sums up my background. Yeah. Uh, I just from from where I'm coming because you, you talk about my lens is it, it has to do with what I call my just cause after uh, that wonderful book, the The Infinite game. Um, it's to make the educational experience better for everyone involved uh, um, And that's that's everyone. but uh, that I do that by being purposeful, acting with integrity and building character. And, that's because of my experience coming up through high school. I, I remember sitting there a long time um, saying there's got to be a better way, not enjoying the experience, um, not feeling like it was a very supportive or caring environment, and just wanting wanting that to be different. And as a result, after uh, a lot of years of reflection, I I ended up or ended at the spot where I'm really a teacher-centered principal. And when I sit with other principals, I hear that that's crazy. You can't be a teacher centered principal. You have to be student centered. How do you even say that? Well, teachers are my biggest lever to get to students and to impact the most students possible in a positive way. I figure if I support, and it's funny enough, support, engage, and empower teachers, (laughs) might might be in the name of books somewhere, um, that I can support, engage, and empower students. And when you look at that as far as the mental health aspect, I mean, if, if somebody's struggling with a, with a mental health component, what better way than to support them, engage them in the, in the broader vision of what you're doing, and then empower them because you empower them to help themselves and to come out of some pretty dark times that many people face. Um, some people are able to come out of it because of that support um, and getting engaged in something larger than themselves, so being empowered, and others aren't, and and that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, I mean there's so much there because when you mentioned anxiety before the ways that it shows up for staff and student you're saying there is some there are some similarities but let's talk about how the support needs to be there first for the adults because somebody well I'll tell you Dr. Mina Blazy she said when you become an administrator you do grieve the loss of working with students so you're you're no longer there to support Students, yes, they are the outcome. Yes, we do have to support them. It is our responsibility. But now you're helping to develop the the staff because that's not just teachers, right? There's a lot to it. So what I love that you said there is about that. So that anxiety piece must be there for leaders too. Is there, do you see that with the other leaders and your colleagues that, that you're working with, the anxiety piece?
1: Oh, sure, there's there's always anxiety. Um, this is we're recording this at a great time of year. It's right before the school building opens up. so there's that almost like that seasonal type of anxiety where you get anxious about different things coming up, But hey, that's part of the job, you know that. and you can you can get through that and you can overcome that. Um, where I see anxiety among colleagues, which I do is um, either from a very a very servant or selfless, Aspect where they don't feel as if they're enough or doing enough or being enough for their staff that they're noticing anxiety in, and other pieces of anxiety from staff come from if they have fractured relationships with whether it's the superintendent, with their administrative team or with their staff. So it has that ability to creep in, if you will, in a lasting way, besides just the normal pieces of the job.
0: Hmm. Yeah, those things just creep in at different times. And we're starting a school year and maybe there's some lingering issues that are being carried over from prior school years too, from the last school year. I noticed that when we're working with staff, when I kind of take a pulse on where's their level of tolerance right now? And it's pretty good. But if I say, get your mindset back in the end of the school year, last year, their face just completely changes. And so then I'm reminding them, of things that might happen this time. So let's talk about that. How do you address that with your staff?
1: Well, the first thing to addressing that with staff and something I do is I'm, I'm honest with them. And I, I utilize very clear communication as far as, look, we want this year to be our best year ever. Um, It doesn't have to be the best year ever, but it's gotta be better than last year. And We can do that by looking at what occurred last year. Yes, owning what occurred last year, but not living in it and taking specific steps to move forward. So um, say you have an event at the end of the year that really just rocks the school culture. Um, First, you have to look at why that happened and you have to be honest about any shortcomings or, or mistakes that may have been made along the way. But you also have to unpack how that was handled and how you all worked together to overcome that. I, and now you can do that in a number of ways. You can sit there and talk about it, which is dry and people tune out and you start to see the glow of maybe cell phones going on in the back of the room while you're going through that meeting. But interesting ways to do that are through reflection, small group reflection, um, and small group brainstorming so that the, the staff, the teachers themselves, they own the solution because it's always good to get a shot in the arm. But eventually if you're going to make a change for yourself, to deal with your anxiety or to help your anxiety or to help other people's anxiety. The people that are in that have to be the solution. They have to come up with the solution through the support that we offer them. Um, just to, if I can lend a quick example,
0: um,
1: we had specific themes that kept our staff moving forward during COVID when we were all out for COVID. And it was tough. It was tough for everybody. Everybody was stressed out. Everybody had anxiety, And at the end of the year where we were coming back after that, the following year, uh, I had challenge coins made with the themes on them. And I had students record themselves for about 30 second clips about what the teachers had done for them this year, because the major pressure point I heard from teachers was that they felt like they were letting the students down um, because they weren't proficient enough with the whole back and forth with video, not in person. And so I can do that, and they can hear that from the students, but they have to internalize the idea that they were enough. And so a good way to start out the year is by focusing on what you want to do, but focusing on how that's going to be better, and they're going to be a part of it moving forward.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. So I'm envisioning your staff meeting, for example, or the PD back to school and Mm -hmm. allowing people, allowing your staff to have conversations around this. And I think that that is missing. It's missing when you say that they're part of the problem. Part of what I hear them complain about is that they don't have a voice and they feel insignificant. And I keep hearing you say over and over, Chris, is that they have to be a part of the solution. They have to have their voice. And that's how we're going to throw kind of that anxiety piece and bring that community together. So let's talk about that for a second. Communication is huge. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you get that across with your staff in a way that doesn't allow them open space to complain all the time because that's a hard thing to do. So what do you do about that?
1: Well, I more more so reflection when we meet as a staff, but I have a weekly newsletter that I do and I have a weekly internal memo that I do that's just for staff only because I don't I don't want to flood people with communication. When I say communication is key, it also has to be select and consistent or else people just hit delete. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that, I have a weekly check-in and it's a survey that they can fill out. And what they do is they rate where they are feeling from one to 10. That's the first question. But then it's a survey of questions. Are you setting your boundaries? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? Are you eating right? And I go through these series of questions as their weekly check-in. And then I obviously ask, you know, is there something I can help you with? What are you struggling with right now? So then I get those replies and it's streamlined enough because it goes into a Google sheet. It's a Google form that I then color code it because that's what I do. But I I make sure I check in with them. And even if they say, oh, I, I've got an eight and everything's yes. And no, I don't need any help. I check in. Hey, thanks for filling out the survey. I really appreciate it. So that they know that somebody's there for them, somebody's looking out for them. And then I also have a burning questions or comments or needs form that they can fill out too, that's optional, um, where any question they have can be answered, any need they have, they fill it out and can be answered. So that's all the virtual communication piece, which then what that does is when they do have that opportunity to, you know, we're, we're all talking, we're throwing things out it doesn't become just a complaint session. It doesn't become just a free for all. Hey, I'm going to throw a grenade just to throw a grenade. Um, it's, right. it becomes much more effective.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like it's structured and that's what they need is that structure, but also that feedback and open communication. If you're, I can just imagine right now, principals hearing this and saying, I don't have time to do that. What do you say to that? Let's push back uh, right there.
1: <laughs> no, pushback is great. We make time for what we value. If you want to, I say the same thing about a budget, and you know, you'll know, you hear leaders say this, that um, if you want to know what you value in your home, look at your budget in your home, because that's what you spend your money on. If you want to value, see what you value in school, look at the budget. Well, if you want to see what you value in your culture, what do you make time for? If you can't make time to check in on teachers, it's just like walkthroughs. Put it in your calendar, schedule it, and call it sacred. If, if you can't make time for your teachers and your teachers' well-being and the opportunity to build a relationship, to check in with them, um, to make sure they feel supported or that they're engaged in the larger school community, then you need to look at your priorities as a school leader because you don't lead a building. You lead humans, and those humans impact other humans. And the the difficulty of being a principal, which is also the wonderful, exciting ultra rewarding part of it is that all those humans have different feelings. There are times where they're going to be mad at you. They're going to times going to be upset at you. They're going to come into your office and they're going to cry. They're going to come into your office. They're going to hug and smile and laugh with you because they're human and they all have human emotions. That's what you have to prioritize because we can have all the facts, figures, data, and logic we want, but emotions trump that. So if you're taking care of the emotions, people are then available to look at the facts, figures, logic, and move the whole culture forward.
0: Hmm. What if it's a really big event? I mean, what if something really rocked your school community? How do you handle that?
1: You stop everything and take care of the humans. Um, We had in my school, um, and I had never had this happen. My assistant principal um, came in, and he's been in this school since he was a student teacher. And he's, he's a couple of years from retirement and he never had this happen in his career. And I hope this never happens to anybody, but it does. We had a staff member pass and we, we found out, and this is two, three years ago. And we found out in the morning because the staff member didn't report for work. So of course me just being me, I said, well, you know, call, make sure this, that, and the other thing, no calls or anything. So we got kind of worried. So um, we had our police department get in touch with the police department of where this individual lived, do a well check. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that didn't turn out very well. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first thing, the most important thing is to communicate and not with some canned um, special thing, but to make sure you communicate with the people that you think are going to be affected the most. And that can't be from you just saying that you need to get help. So that's one of the first things you need to do. To make sure you do that. So you communicate authentically and admit when you don't have answers and talk about steps that you're going to do moving forward and then make sure you do them. And you find, excuse me, you find the best, most qualified help you can to help you out. Um, Sometimes schools have students passing. Um, When a student passes, you don't have all the answers for that. Mm -hmm. So you You take care of the humans. Um, You open up spaces for them to gather together while you reach out and bring adjustment counselors, trauma-trained individuals into your school to work with them. Um, A great resource for that are therapy animals. So if you have therapy animals, you reach out, you bring therapy animals in. But you just stop school. You offer the options for them to grieve in the way they grieve, um, whether that's, if it's in the case of students, whether that's parents picking students up, but you communicate out to the community. So parents have the ability to pick their students up if school's not the place for them. But your job turns into becoming a place of, um, of safety for them that they can grieve in the way they grieve. And then once you do that, because it, it happens so fast, once you do that, you consult with professional individuals and you can take a step back. You begin that slow crawl to making sure targeted supports are in place and getting back to normal. As much as possible, what or whatever normal looks like for the whole of the community.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's going to look different, is it? Isn't it? Because I like that you said it can't be canned. I mean, we we lost a student. mean anyone who works in high schools, I mean, there's some kind of tragedy. We we unfortunately lost a staff member too. We were all very close to him, and it was tragic. Um, but when we lost a student one time, one of our principals gave us all, all of us teachers who, by the way, were very tight knit and we had great relationships with students. It was a, a great point in our, my career personally, but with our staff, gave us all a piece of paper with a canned response to read to students. And we were furious, Chris, furious because we weren't trusted to deliver the message in a way that respected our relationship with kids. So, and I know, I know people need some guidance on that sometimes, but it, it didn't feel good. It just didn't feel right. So I I'm, appreciate, I appreciate that you said that. And I, I also want to address kind of this, this part of it, that you're allowing to have therapists come in to work with staff. Is that what I heard you say? Yes. To support staff. Yeah. yeah and I he, think that's key. Well, I mean,
1: Really, if you're talking about the adults in front of the students, uh, they need support as well. Yeah. You know, and it's uh, everybody uses the airline line now about if the mask falls, put your own mask on first. But how how can we expect staff to take care of students if staff are struggling themselves? Mm-hmm. And we don't we don't always know how staff are going to react. As a matter of fact, we don't know how we're going to react until we're in that situation. So we need to make sure that those resources are available wholesale right at the outset until we can come up with some targeted responses and it's interesting that you mentioned the can piece when we had um when we had a, a staff member pass we wanted to let the teachers know first and then the students had found out because it's all about how quickly information travels these days um and i put out a video to the community about the teacher where i just turned on the camera and spoke from the heart about the about the teacher. Um, when we had a student pass recently, we found out early, early in the morning and the staff didn't find out until they came in, um, for teaching that day. So we did have a scripted response yeah. until we could take a step back and go. So it's, you know, when you, when you talk about what, what can be done to help, um, that's part of the difficulty. And like I said before, part of the excitement of dealing with humans, it, it is difficult, Because each situation is different based on where you are and what's going on when it happens.
0: Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that the communication was probably different between your staff and you in that moment with that script. So the understanding Mm -hmm. was probably different. The expectation, I should say, our expectation is read it word for word and don't talk about it with your students. It wasn't uh, so. So let me clarify, because I don't think there's actually a problem with giving giving educators of any kind staff something to work from. Right. I I would imagine just because I I know a little bit about you is that it wasn't, this is all you get to say. So could you elaborate just, just so I'm clear on your messaging?
1: No, absolutely. Um, we had an emergency staff meeting in the morning. So we had about 10 minutes before students started walking into the building and, um, the teachers asked if I could provide them with something. And so I provided them with that. You know, The crisis team met before that and then right after that. And I say I, it it had nothing to do with me. I have a crisis team and we're all on a text thread. And so um, we put something together, the outline of something together, and told staff to go ahead and read this. We wanted them to read this so students got the same message initially, but then as conversations came up. Um, were staff comfortable, that's fine. We gave language to staff that if they were not comfortable, that they could say to students about, well, we have supports available. Um, you know, that you may be, you talking about it may be upsetting somebody else in the room. Um, if you wish to talk to a counselor and just all of those different things, if they weren't comfortable handling that in their situation.
0: Yeah. And so there it is, it's about the communication. Uh, but understanding the relationship with the teachers to the students, because there are loose cannons. Don't get me wrong. I, I get it. I mean, I get that too. And you also don't want to further harm a child. You don't want to do that nor the adult because they could be up there and then it could trigger something for them. I get it. So I appreciate that. But I think people listening, not only staff, but certainly leaders listening when they do have some tragedy that strikes because unfortunately it will happen somewhere along the road. Hopefully not this year. Let's hope not. Yeah. Um, but they don't they don't really know what to do and when you don't know what to do, we either do nothing or we're not getting it right. So I love that you mentioned team of course every school has their own mental health team they can lean on but it sounds like Chris that your communication is there in a way that it's su- still supportive. So I think people listening understand the difference because there's 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 administrators who are either micromanagers or they're they're so afraid to, um what's the word they're there's they're too afraid to let teachers have conversations so anyway again there's a there's a lot there I understand here's what I want to get to next with you then because I I want to make sure people understand what you're gonna do next like what is your your next hope with mental health and education in your building this year
1: um well, and and I've got a I've got to plug you a little bit for this. I had mentioned it before we we got on it. Um, your book, school mental health, is well, improving school mental health is is fantastic with, with the resources and the idea of the strategies it offers because, that's something that all schools are struggling with, and we try to put these pieces together, but every time we mention something, it's more, more, more. And so let me give you an example. We. We're actually, my high school's very well staffed. We're more heavily staffed than any other school in the state, I believe. Great. Um, Wow. As far as school counselors and adjustment counselors. And we have our adjustment counselors spread out across our student support center, which is a whole nother story. We, I collapsed an area and put it into one large area to de-stigmatize people going in to talk to them. Um, But we've also got like a transition room and so forth but um as we do things and we do your programming we do the programming in in classrooms um, like sos programming and and so forth but you do that then you see a bump in referrals and a bump in the caseloads and a bump in visits and then the follow-up and that becomes a long time and something that happened this past year is we got on board with care solace which is a company out of California, and they're they're basically a, a cut the red tape referral service because we had trouble getting students referred to outside providers. Which, hello everyone, United States today. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Wow. Probably. So
1: that helped with that helped with the caseload piece, and that helped with the staff anxiety about not being able to get these kids help that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't help us in the school, with strategies to handle the student in the school. So I'm looking, which is another reason for your book and doing a book study with your book, is we're looking towards putting practices in place and strategies in place where we have cleaner communication between the academic teachers and the counselors as needed through a referral-based system that will help streamline that process. So people know, and it's almost it's almost uh, an improved handle with care type of thing. I don't know if you have handle with care where you are, but if something occurs outside of the building yes. in the evening, our SRO will alert the school in the morning and say, hey, so and so, Chris Jones, um, handle with care, he had an issue last night. Now, I may know what that issue was, but Chris Jones's teachers might not know right off the bat until we decide you know, what we can push forward and let them know and how we can offer support so that... Um, life goes on as normal as possible for that student even though they had a bad event the night before. Hmm. So if we can if we can put all those pieces together through one type of referral process or information, I don't want to say center, but center type of thing that's that's what I'd like to be working on this year.
0: Well, it sounds it sounds like if there's a process in place and that's communicated well, then you're absolutely right the teachers we work with say that they do want to support students but they don't know how or they don't refer them because they're afraid that they won't get looked after so that's a problem and you're right when you teach these new skills and and sel skills are great but then these kids get to thinking like i need support for this and then where do i go and then if we let them down further that's no good so i love that you have a process in place and I'm, I'm, I want to stay with you on that one. Cause I'm really curious to see how that continues to work for you all. So what about quickly then? Cause I think I know time-wise, we, we probably need to wrap up That's so much. People need to just get to your book, the Seeing to lead. It's got so many strategies, but I do want to know, like, what about education right now with SEL? Like how is that working in SEL in your building and, and what you're seeing?
1: I, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's where I was going to go next. If you want okay. something else, I was going to say, Hey, can we stop on SEL for a second?
0: Right. Yeah. I know you wrote uh, about it too. And, and anyway, go ahead. I want to hear Yeah, that
1: it's you. Look, SEL is incredibly important, but it, it, it's, it doesn't have the impact it can have when it's standalone. SEL is something that has to be embedded into your everyday curriculum. Um, before COVID hit, which that's a wonderful excuse for me to use, but um we were doing mindful minute and we were then putting mindful minute into every class. So the the idea was that every class, every period would start with a mindful minute that the teachers would do a mindful minute, because as a student, even as a teacher, you're running from class to class, to class, to class, you know, you got to go to your locker, you got to stop at your locker, maybe not, but you got to stop and talk to your friend. You got to pass a note. Maybe you got to hit the bathroom, get back to class on time, put your books down, open up, now take a test. doesn't work like that. If you could just take that moment to breathe. So we haven't implemented that. We will be revisiting that because I think that's something very important. But we have an SEL class at one of our middle schools that feeds into the high school. If that, my argument, and this is maybe a little controversial, but my argument is that if that worked, wouldn't we see a big difference in the students as they come into ninth grade in in the behaviors besides the typical behaviors we see where where we don't, we don't see that. So it's not transferring. So what we need to do is um, SEL being as important as it is, is, gotta be more than, okay, we're just gonna do this SEL workshop. Okay, um, we're gonna do this SEL initiative for the month. Now those are good, but those are only as good as the programming every day in every classroom that you embed into the curriculum. So we need to actually be looking at, the castle model is great, taking those castle competencies and putting them into the curriculum in the classrooms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's my yeah, hot take on SEL.
0: <laughs> no, I know. And I know that there's a lot you can say about it and that you have mm-hmm. said about it in the past. I've heard you speak on that. And you're right, the consistency piece is, is huge. Um, there's one other thing that you said that I want to make sure I asked you about anything you want to, anything else you wanted to cover, to cover in writing before, and you talked about the purpose of school and post high school experiences in education. And I want to know if you could just expand upon that a little bit.
1: Sure. Um, you know, one of the things with school and I, I'll never forget, I sat down and I was speaking to my uh, director of school counseling when I first said this to her. I said, uh, I'm not all about career, college, and career readiness. And she looked at me like, "What?"
0: <laughs> she was the so, wrong person to tell that to. Yeah, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. She didn't appreciate that. I said, "Well, hold on. Let me explain. Much like, yeah. the, much like the teacher center thing, I said, uh, I'm about career readiness. Some careers require college. Some don't. And we have to stop pushing our students." to take all these AP courses to judge themselves based on the college that they get into to feel less than if they don't get into a college. I, and, and, you know, we talk about college acceptance percentages, this many students of ours go to college. I don't really care about that. How many students of ours are still in college a year later, two years later, three years later on track to get the degree that they were interested in getting. Um, So what we've done, yeah. my school is we we utilize MyCap, which is my career in academic planning through Massachusetts, through the state of Massachusetts, where students start to do their interest inventories, job clusters, things like that as they're going through early high school. Well, we've used that to springboard into applying for and becoming an innovation pathway school where we have actual career pathways that go through the school. We're doing business and finance, and we're doing healthcare. So students can do that from eighth grade, they come in and they join that pathway. So they get some specific programming along the way. So they graduate with certifications and so forth to put them ahead of the game when they graduate high school, if they decide to just look at a career instead, we've expanded our dual enrollment options rather than our AP options, because we're noticing, and this is interesting after COVID, there's probably a study in this somewhere, but um, less students are taking the exam, the AP exam. They'll take the AP class, which is the actual intrinsic value of the class, but the, less students are taking the AP exam because now you pay your money, you take the exam, you maybe get a qualifying score. You it, maybe students will, uh, maybe schools, sorry, will accept that score if they haven't bumped it up to a four if they accept it at all. Or you take a dual enrollment course, and I have to apologize if you can hear that, they're testing some things. That's um,
0: okay. I mean, I got people outside my door doing stuff too. So it's actually <laughs> fine. I'm captivated by what you're telling me. So keep going.
1: now you have to now dual enrollment, you take a course, you get a grade on a transcript, which now tons of schools take because it's an actual grade on a transcript from a college. And we subsidize the cost of the course. So you can still get that, it's the syllabus, it's taught by our teachers. Students don't have to worry about transportation or doing something asynchronous online. They get that person-to-person education and they get that opportunity to be set up way ahead of the game by the time they leave high school towards even if it's just their associates. But now they have more of an idea with all these pieces put in place of what they want to do. And unfortunately, how often do we try and force students into what we think they should do rather than what they want to do? Yeah. And I, I think about my own students, not to, not to be too long-winded. I think about my own two kids. This is another one that gets people saying, how can I do that? My own two boys go to vocational technical high school. And there's always an argument between a vocational technical high school and a college prep high school in Massachusetts. It's a political argument. It's a funding argument. And so they don't think I should do that. And the reason I do that is because that's what's best for my boys based on what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be doing that with students instead of pushing them so hard to go into what we think is right for them. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not because, it's funny because by doing that, we increase anxiety, we increase stress. We run the risk of them falling into depression because they start to feel inadequate if they're not succeeding in what they're supposed to succeed at. And it's not because we don't like them. It's because we love them so darn much, but we can't get out of our own heads about what's right instead of looking forward as to what could be. Mm.
0: Wow. Oh my gosh. And your boys, they had a voice in going to that vocational school, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. So as, as a matter of fact, and it was personal for me with my oldest because, and he's going into his junior year now, he hated middle school. And I watched him go from loving school to not liking school and tried to put a stop in. I asked for a teacher that I knew was less rigorous so that he could fall in love with school again. Hmm. Got out of middle school, didn't like high, didn't like middle school, didn't like school. He has absolutely flourished. He's an A student. He's in engineering. Telling me trig is easy when he always struggled with math.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So that that's wonderful. My youngest said he wanted to apply for it and go. Um, my first question to him and my wife's first question to him was, well, do you want to go because your brother's going or because, cause they're inseparable, um, because your brother's going or because you're actually interested. My youngest wants to be a blacksmith. And so he has a forge out in the backyard that he does that. Uh, I'm not going to say, you can't be a blacksmith. I'm going to say, let's figure out how you do that. So he's talking about, an associates in business, maybe to be an entrepreneur once he gets out of school, once he gets out of high school. Where my other ones talking about, I'm gonna go to a college for my engineering degree. Hmm. It's wow, we're all individuals. We're all human beings with individual stories. And what will make people flourish, I firmly believe what will make people flourish is supporting who they are instead of trying to make them who we want them to be in our eyes. Because everybody's an individual, so education needs to be individualized.
0: Hmm. Well, if we don't end on that, I don't know what we'd end on. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow, Chris. Well, okay. So with all that, let's wrap this up then. What, what do you want to leave people with? Like, what's one final thought here? Because there's a lot.
1: One final thought. Boy, that's um, a tall order. I know, it <laughs> cause, is, cause it is. I'm a talker. As everybody that's watching this and listening to this now knows I'm a talker. Um, that's
0: good, that's why you're here. <laughs> yeah.
1: One thing I'd like to leave everybody with is that no matter what programs, policies, procedures, opportunities you put in place, if somebody is not mentally or emotionally available to take advantage of them or learn from them, it doesn't matter what you have they're not going to be there. So the baseline thing you have to take care of, what you need to build your house on, that foundation needs to be mental health. It needs to be making sure that students, adults alike, have a safe place where they feel supported, they're engaged with their own life, and they feel that they're empowered to go where they want to go according to what they're interested in, and not feel less than because of it. But instead, say, look at how I'm shining as an individual. That's what we need to be doing for people.
0: Amazing, amazing. And you all, you can get all that vision, all those thoughts and strategies right in this book, Seeing to Lead. Again, you see all my sticky notes in there. Pick it up, where is it, on Amazon? Can you get it on Amazon?
1: Yeah, it's on Amazon and you have links that you'll be putting in the show notes, so.
0: Absolutely, and then you're all over social media. So how can people, like, what's the best way people can reach out to you if they need to?
1: Um, I'm usually very active on Twitter and the handle for that is at Dr. C.S. Jones. So it's at D R C S Jones.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look for us because we will definitely be tagging you too and sharing that out. Thank you. Honestly, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy guy, especially right now. So thanks for being here. <laughs>
1: No, thank you very much for having me. It's always it's always great to talk to you and I enjoy doing things like this because it's it's almost a, a reflection type of thing. Um and once we talk about something then the whole trick is to do it, right? So mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about something and not do it. So
0: Agreed. We got to we got to take some action. So I think we we're all ready to do that now. We just got jazzed up. So thank you for that. There we go. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and